Hey, welcome back to Biblical Worldview. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Bratcher, and the purpose of this podcast is that you might view it, listen to it, and come away with a worldview that is informed by the Word of God or the Bible. Uh, It has been discovered that 1% of the United States of America operates according to a biblical worldview, but even more shocking, only 6% of Christians self-professing operate with a worldview uh, that is informed by the Bible. And 57% of pastors, only 57% of pastors themselves have a biblical worldview. That is according to the Bible. If one has a biblical worldview, that that is detrimental. Um, always has been detrimental, but I believe that we are living in the last days as described by the Word of God. Uh, I do not believe this because I believe in fairy tales or I am given to fantasies. I believe this because I myself uh, believe that I do hold a biblical worldview. Um, and being informed by that worldview, um, as I observe the events that are that are happening that, that pretty much all of us agree are um, unprecedented, uh, I understand the Bible has told us all of these things will happen. Um, so given that, um, what I understand is if you do not have a biblical worldview from this point forward, uh, whereas it's always been detrimental, um, it's going to be fatal um, going forward. Uh, fatal, it, it, um, spiritually speaking, certainly. Um, for, um, for, for some, or um, according to the Bible, in the future for many, um, it's going to be fatal not, not only whoa, not only spiritually, but physically. Wanted to look. Um, I was thinking about this earlier in the book of Daniel. Um, in the book of Daniel, this just this came to mind earlier when we were doing the question and answer uh, portion, uh, the twelfth chapter in the book of Daniel. I'm just going to start reading here from from verse one. It says, "At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble." such as never was since there was a nation, and even to the time of the end. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. What is a firmament? And those who turn... Many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. That's a, that's a good promise for anybody that preaches the gospel and turns people toward Jesus. It says, and those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, this is verse 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and sealed the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now think about that. This saying in the in the last in the last days. It says that many will run to and fro. And if you study commentaries on this, if you just kind of dig into to that that verse and, and what it means, it's talking about travel. 
and travel will increase the ability to travel both in frequency and distance and and so th this is a prophetic word given to Daniel saying in, in these in these last days the time of the end many people will will travel back and forth to and fro and knowledge shall increase or another translation shall expound um, again I'm investigating that verse I'm looking at commentary I'm listening to what other what other uh, expositors of the Word of God um, they themselves teach or preach uh, we take that to understand that this prophetic word given to Daniel uh, informs the reader um, or the listener that in the last days we'll expect that there will be an explosion of knowledge. Um, and if you take a look at the last 100 years and you think about, you know, 100 years ago, uh, we were uh, traveling by horse and buggy. And now today, um, you know, according to Elon Musk, you know, here soon we're, you know, we're all going to be able to take trips to, I don't know where these rockets are going, but you understand the point that I'm, that I'm making. Uh, these words have been fulfilled. Verse 3, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others. It says there's one on this river bank and another on the other river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long... Shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? So Daniel's ask, or the the conversation rather between the, these two and the one above the riverbank is, uh, how long shall the fulfillment of all these wonderful uh, or wondrous things? When will they happen? And then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven. Now look, hey, will remember this? R remember like. Remember the scripture, the starting in verse seven, just try to capture this in your mind. The language, the the way this is phrased. Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and he swore by him. Him here is a capital H. It's talking about Jesus, who lives forever. That it shall be for a time, times. And half a time. So what does that mean? A time is one year, times is two years, and half a time would be what? Six months, half a year, right? So times, times, and a half a time, that's three and one half years is what that's talking about. And this is a this is a, a duration of time that is uh, spoken of many times throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We understand that the tribulation will be two periods of time that are exactly this, three and a half years or 42 months or 1,260 days, right? So it says um, these things that are going to happen, Daniel, that I'm showing you, they're, they're going to take place for three and a half years, right? And when the power of the holy people, think, listen to this, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished, Right, that that's always been before I ever even had understanding of this. Uh, before I before I had the inclination to read the Bible and try to gain understanding, you know, for myself by way of the Holy Spirit, and it's promised to every every believer follower of Jesus Christ that that He's given us that um, that is a gift. It's a it's it's part of the communion that we have with with um, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. That that He gives us understanding of the Word of God. No mediator between us and Jesus, right? So uh, before I ever had understanding, though, and I and I just I only 
sought other other men or other teachers to explain the word of God to me. I was always curious about this, the, the, this wording. When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, then that's when all these things will be finished, right? So you got a three and a half year period of time where, where all of this tribulation is going to happen, and it will conclude simultaneous to this event of the holy people being shattered, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So although I heard, Daniel says, I, I heard, I heard what he said, I did not understand. And then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of all these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Okay, so he's he says, Daniel, we're done here. Go about your business. Uh, I've given you this word, but the meaning of it, like um, in in the the uh, the end of it, is sealed up until the time of the end. So we've got we've got now information. Imagine a, imagine a scroll, right? And it's been sealed up until the time of the end. And during that time of the end, many shall be purified. Right now, we understand again from the Word of God that purification comes by way of, of refinement or tribulation. Uh, that's that uh, tribulation. Um, that word again, that what we're talking about, that three and a half year period of time. Most people don't understand that tribulation is drawn from the word tribulum. What is a tribulum? Tribulum is used during the time of harvest. It's used on the threshing floor to do what? To separate the the wheat from the chafe. Again, all of these are terms that are given to us regarding the tribulation. During the tribulation, what is happening? The separation of the wheat and the chafe. In other words, what is godly from what is ungodly, right? Now, I'm sure that you understand, many of the viewers, uh, listeners understand that that the most common teaching regarding this period of time in the American church is that there will be a rapture. Uh, this event will occur before before any tribulation, any hardship, any of these things transpire, um, most of the teaching coming out of American churches promises the believer that we will not have to prepare for or endure any of these things because we will be um, raptured out, taken, right? Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody last week that exact thing. I've... I always, this is what I've always wanted to sit with, with someone. I would love, in fact, if anyone, if anyone listens, hears this and you find, you, you consider yourself someone who is both, uh, um, that fulfills these, these basic requirements, that you are uh, respectful, um, you know, that that is to say considerate um, of your fellow man, um, you're able to conduct yourself in, in such a manner that would reflect that. Um, if you uh, are well informed, um, biblically speaking, on the topic, and you feel that you can make a solid exegetical case for a pre-tribulational rapture, I would love to speak to you. You know, uh, have you come on to this podcast and and just have a conversation about why it is that you believe that, and um, and I would like to to perhaps have discussion. Um, well, perhaps is the wrong word. I would definitely like to have discussion about this scripture and uh, I will in just a few moments tie this scripture um, exegetically to scripture from the book of Revelation. All right, and so we'll get there in just a moment, but let's get back to where we were. Although 
I heard, I didn't understand, then I said, my Lord, what shall the end of these things be? How's it all going to wrap up? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and they are sealed until the time of the end. During that time of the end, many will be purified. So again, talking about this time, many people, many were, are going to be purified. In other words, refined, made white and refined. There's the, there's the actual word, refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, right? So we're talking about the church is going to be refined. It's going to be purified, right? Uh, during this time, we know that's the church, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. Understand what? They won't understand anything that's going on. But again, these others will. So who are these others? These are Bible-believing uh, individuals. They do understand. Yeah. The wise shall understand, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, that's talking about the prophetic fulfillment of the third temple being rebuilt. Let's, let's take just a moment to address that. The, there will be a third Jewish temple built uh, somewhere in Israel, probably um, close to the existing Dome of the Rock, um, if not on that very site. That, is a, that will happen, and it will be a prophetic fulfillment of God's Word. Uh, many people will debate that and say, well, the third temple, is, it's, it's, it's us. Um, both of those, both of those facts are true. We are the third temple. God does not want that third temple in Israel. He, he, he does not need that place, want that place. He doesn't plan to inhabit that place. What, what they're going to do is reinstitute sacrifice as it was performed, uh, during the, during the, uh, times of, of the Bible. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the, in the Jewish culture, we are not the third temple. Do what? Correct? I said, in the Jewish culture, we are not the third temple. No, in the Jewish culture. I've, That's why I, they're trying I, to reconstruct Right, it. and of course, they don't believe in Jesus, so they don't believe that he was the final atoning sacrifice. So what they want to do is they want to bring back the daily sacrifice. That's what this is talking about. Yeah. And that's why it's been so interesting to uh, students of eschatology that there are five red heifers that are in a safe, secure location right now inside of Israel. Hasn't been for millennia. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what's needed to perform the purification ceremonies that will allow the daily sacrifice to be resumed. They are. Um, yeah. There's the thing I remember reading the story is probably three or four months ago, where they imported the the last like two or three of them. I think mm -hmm. from Texas. They all came from Texas. There's five of them, and, and at this point, none of them have uh, a blemish on them. So the chances that one of them will last for another seven months, at that point they will be eligible for sacrifice, and they will be able to perform the purification rites for the nation. Um, and then, uh, according to the Temple Institute, um, they, there are plans in place to construct this third Jewish temple. And so what this is saying here is that, that of course, we understand that temple will be rebuilt. Once that temple is rebuilt, they will reinstitute the daily sacrifice. And it says that, that it, uh, as a point of, of uh, prophecy that will be fulfilled also, verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up. This is otherwise referred to as the day of desolation. This is the point when the Antichrist, uh, who has 
just appeared to be resurrected uh, from a deadly wound to his head that he has suffered. Uh, he will then go and he will dispatch two witnesses who have been standing um, in Israel for 1260 days prophesying the uh, events that are about to occur before they occur. Um, they will be hated by all the world. Um, they will be preaching Jesus at a time when it is illegal to preach Jesus, probably in the whole world, but certainly in Israel, and that's happening right now. But the Word of God says that when some anyone tries to touch them, apprehend them, stop them, fire will proceed from their mouth. They will be supernaturally stopped. So no one's been able to touch them. But at the time that Antichrist uh, gives, he appears to be resurrected. Um, whether he is or not, we, we don't know. But the Word of God says that he will appear to have a deadly wound, so on and so forth. He will uh, he will dispatch. That is to that uh, means he will kill the two witnesses. So he will have success where all others have failed. Uh, he will proclaim to the world, "Don't touch them. Let them lie there in the streets, for there's still great power in them." And then he will go to the temple, proclaim himself to be God, desecrate the temple, and that's when daily sacrifice will will uh, will cease. Okay. Um, if you're curious about the, those two witnesses, they will lay in the streets um, lifeless for three days. The world will celebrate this. It says that the whole world will celebrate it by sending uh, gifts, exchanging gifts, uh, uh, reminiscent of, of Christmas time. But after three days, there will be a voice that will come from heaven saying, uh, get up and come up here. And at that point, they will; those two guys will actually have their very own kind of rapture. Or, and, and the world will witness them ascending, right? Um, and the Word of God tells us elsewhere in the Bible, when you see this happen, the day of desolation, if you're up on the housetop observing events, don't even come back down and get stuff. Like, head for the hills. Like, you got to go. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to get really dangerous really, really fast. <clears throat> so back to the, here. Blessed is the one who waits and comes to the 1,335-day mark. I don't... I, can I just say I'm very interested in that? I have no idea what what that is. I've been studying this for years. 1,260 days. That's that's the number of days that that the tribulation is, and and also the same number of days that the great tribulation is. But here's this number: 1,335 days. So an additional amount of days later, it says, "Blessed is the one that waits." And come, I, I would imagine when we are in the midst of all of that, that that will take on new meaning as prophetic words uh, do. So it's point six five seven years. Yeah. Whatever that. Comes so like to. it's like so you're talking about like so you're talking about like six six you know six and a half months after the the one of those periods of time concludes, the one that waits waits for what like I don't know, but that one would be blessed. But you go your way to the end, Daniel, for you shall rest and you will arise to your inheritance at the end of the day. So just a personal promise for, for Daniel. We, we all enjoy that same promise. Uh, but Daniel, I can imagine, would have certainly felt frustrated. Can you imagine? I mean, seriously. Can you imagine receiving that vision, that knowledge, and and yet... So God trusted you enough to, to give you all that, but then told you, I'm not going to tell you what it means. And you're just going to carry that. Uh, you know. But you do get the good consolation. You're going to come to heaven. Like, you're going to make it, Daniel. You're going to get an inheritance. Like, and the, he's, he's pretty old at this point. Like, you're going to get some rest now. You've been a faithful servant. Next few years, you get to be a little bit easier. And 
you know, you got a spot here, but it's this thing that's probably going to drive you nuts for the rest of your life. Nothing, right? All right. So that's actually a perfect segue into where we'll we'll go next in Revelation, right? <clears throat> so in Revelation, I it just so happens I turned right to where this is highlighted. I'll read this since we were just talking about the witnesses killed. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's an interesting study all on its own. Then uh, those from the people's tribes and tongues and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them they stand on their feet and a great fear falls on all of us. I bet it does. I bet it does. All those people are dancing around. Woo, yeah, y'all. Like, yeah, I Going bet they... on day three of their party. Yeah, Cap. Like, Somebody's handing somebody a gift and then all of a sudden they just like pop up. <laughs> yeah, y'all should have known standing out there in the hot streets of Egypt after two days when they didn't start stinking. I'd have been like, get back. Get back. Uh... And they heard a loud voice come from heaven saying, come up here. And they ascend to the heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them that same hour. Man, I bet that felt good looking down on your enemies as you, as you rise up. <laughs> and that same hour, there was a great earthquake and, and a tenth of the city fell. And the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. As I was reading that, I was thinking, man, just think about that. Someday that exact event's going to happen. 7,000 people will die. It'll be on the news. 7,000 people dead. And here it is in the Bible. Like, how in the world would you be like, no, it's not real. But, th but then as I was thinking that, as I was reading it, the next thing that I read was, says, uh, the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. In other words, like, when that thing happened, that's the purpose for all of That's what people don't understand about Revelation. We learn that in Exodus. When God brings his judgment against the Egyptian people, we understand that that's not, a, that's, that's not wrath as most people believe it is coming from God. That's the kind of mercy where he's trying to get a wicked people's attention who he understands are only going to wax more and more wicked. So he is trying to, with a series of judgments, reveal himself for the God that he is, that they might fear him, turn from their wickedness, and repent. Right? That's that's always his point, and what we see is that that objective is is uh, is fulfilled in in that great earthquake because the people glorify God. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So, just that that's just a little bit about the two witnesses. But <clears throat> back to what it what we were saying just a moment ago. Let's back up just a little bit because that was in chapter 11 but think about that we we were talking about those same events right there like talking about that day of desolation and all that given the same words and everything that that day of desolation back there in daniel when then we go to revelation and we see that we we see what what was sealed up for daniel we're getting more information on we're getting the end of those things mm -hmm. 
You see? Yeah. And if you and think about like this, like if information is put in a scroll and, and sealed up, what happens at the beginning of Revelation? But the scroll is given to the Lamb who does what? He begins to remove the seals. Right? And then what happens? And the scroll is unrolled. And then we get this. This is what's in the scroll. And so we are living in those last days where what Daniel had hidden from him is now being revealed to us. And as somebody that studied this stuff for a long time, I think that we're just... I, and someone can correct me that watches this later, but I've been studying this stuff for a long time, and I've, I've, not, heard, I've not heard any talk about this, about the, these two being related. Uh, maybe I've heard a little bit recently, and I believe it's because like these simple things, it's, like, uh, it's almost like there's a veil until they start to occur. I don't know. That could just be from my perspective. I digress anyway. Let's go back to what, what we were talking about. Um, so, like I said, we back up just a little bit into not 11, but, but 10. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire, and he had a little book open in his hand. Sound familiar? He set his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land. He cried out with a loud voice. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, listen, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever. Listen, it's the exact same words that we got back there in Daniel. Who created the heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea that are the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. All right. Then you go over to 13. Then I stood on the sea of the land. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven... Oh, no, no, no. No, that's, that's on later. But the point is this. The same exact things that you see in Daniel, you see it talking about in Revelation. So we're for sure talking about the same exact events. And then you go over, and if you keep reading in Revelation, what you see is where the saints themselves... It says that the saints are persecuted and they are overcome. And so again, if we're talking about if we're talking about the same events in Daniel that we're talking about in Revelation, and we see in Daniel that the holy people are shattered, we see in Revelation that the saints are overcome. But we've got a doctrine that says that the saints and the holy people aren't going to be here. Which one is it? Are 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 we are we going to get raptured and we're not going to be here? Or are the saints going to be overcome? Are we going to be shattered? Should uh, we prepare to escape or should we prepare to endure? I'm, I'm going to go with what the Bible says. <laughs> I I just, you know, look, I, and I never, I, 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 um, when the rapture is going to occur is not a salvitic issue it's certainly not something that we should bitterly argue over i do think it is worth having 
discussions, even if those discussions are sometimes a bit difficult and even at the risk of possible contention because I understand how defensive people can be on this topic and I believe it's because a great deal of emotion has been assigned to it because um, they've put all their hope in that. They do not want to endure. They do not want to be persecuted. And most people, anytime you talk about this, the very first thing that people say is, well, God has not assigned us to wrath, right? And that's true, but, but what they don't understand is wrath is the judgment of God. The Word of God is clear about that. Again, that's why it's important to have a biblical worldview. Uh, we're not talking about what God is going to execute in the way of, of judgment and refining on the earth. That's not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is, is what we have been pardoned from in our uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. The foaming cup of God's wrath. That's the same cup that Jesus himself took upon the cross. It says that he, he was the only one that could take that cup, that he consumed it, all of it. When he put it down, that's when he declared it is finished, right? And so that's what we've avoided. But the, the series of judgments that will happen on the earth, this, is, this isn't God's wrath against us. And that's not what's going to affect the Christian. It's the persecution of the world. That's not God's wrath. And we were never promised to be spared from persecution. It's odd whenever when an when an American talks to someone like some South uh, there's there's a group of South Koreans that come by and visit me periodically. They they held a conference here. It's 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 um, it's an interesting thing. They are missionaries from South Korea to come and try to preach to us the true gospel because they think that we've got this sugar coated watered down version of the gospel that's actually sending people to hell. And their argument is quite compelling. Um, they're coming back to talk to me again next week. They want me to come to a conference in South Korea, and I'm, uh, um, uh, unless God, you know, probably not, you know. But I've I've really enjoyed um, getting to know these folks and, and talking to them. Back to the point: when you speak to them about the American view that God has not appointed us to wrath, and we're not going to have to endure any of these things, and then you talk to someone who's in South Korea it's almost an insult to them because what the American church believes says that God will never ever let us have to go through. Never ever will we have to experience or experience it or endure it. Our brothers and sisters are experiencing it right now all over the world. And so to them, that's like a slap in the face. Oh, so, so you guys can't experience that in America, but we're being captured, tortured, killed for our faith in Christ all day, every day. And the Word of God promises that to pretty much, the Word of God says this is not uncommon. Like th This is persecution, expect it. I was going to say, I, I'm pretty sure the, the Bible said, I thought that was a promise, like you will be persecuted. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is, and that's the thing. What, what, people, what people call the wrath of God is not. It's not the wrath of God. It's a, uh, it's a refining process, and again, and what the Word of God says with a, with a, with a with a proper um, and affectionate um, view of God, you understand that this is something that God does out of love for His sons and daughters, not 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 out of hostility. It's not His wrath. Mm -hmm. He's doing this. Did you see what it was called in Daniel? It said it was it was, it was purification. 
It's a gift. It's a blessing. Be purified. Be more made more like Christ. And and I think we're observing that already. If you look at brothers and sisters who are truly, truly desiring of a deep relationship with the Lord, I challenge you to show me someone like that who is not who has not experienced significant and observable change over the past two and a half, almost three years, where the things that that I that we once gravitated toward so easily, they do not have the same pull on us that they used to have. Um the desire for God and the things of God, that has increased, I would say, in, in direct proportion, um, you know, as in, like, in, um, like as, as our desire for the things of the world decreases, our desire for things of God has increased by that amount. Does that make sense? And so, I believe that purification has already has already started to happen, and that's come through what? That's come by way of, of trial, tribulation. That's come by way of watching the world that that we once thought of as so so shiny. Many of us are waking up and beginning to see the the, the truth of the world around us. You know, the the governments that we once thought of as. Um, institutions meant to protect us many people were waking up and, and beginning to understand the the reality that absolute power absolutely corrupts and these governments um, are in no way invested in our well-being or the interests of the common man uh, i think that people are beginning to wake up and understand that uh, the uh, Institutions that we once revered, or maybe culture, cultures that we once revered, um, maybe that would be a better description. Uh, things such as Hollywood, that those things are, are not just corrupt. We'd always, we've always known that those things had a had a had an element of corruption to them. But I, th I believe that what most of us are beginning to to realize and come to terms with at this point is, it is. Um, not only corrupt, but it's rotten to its very core. And and there are probably none that that exist with within that within that culture um, that have been unaffected by it. Again, this is something that had we had we all had a proper biblical worldview, we would have understood from the very beginning that, as the Word of God promises, everything that we put value in is either corrupted or is being corrupted. And there is no exception to this. This is why we, again, are beginning to wake up to the fact that our politicians are not going to save us, and none of them, none of them, have our best interests in mind. Um, no, it's it's all it's all self interest. Absolutely, and, and and it's 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 all of them. <clears throat> you know, look, um, Donald Trump is not going to save us. 
That's like this because this is not an economic issue. This is a heart issue. This is a, this is an issue that has to do with sin, wickedness, and rebellion against God. That's what this has to do with. He's not going to say Joe Biden. <laughs> Joe Biden's not going. He's not going to save us. Will Joe Biden's not. Um, neither is Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, and it doesn't matter who else comes comes on the scene none of these individuals are going to be able to turn this ship around not this time <clears throat> and i think people really are they're beginning to wake up to that and the ones that are drawing close to god the bible the word of god promises they are going to they are only going to get uh, deeper and deeper in their affections toward jesus and um and as they get deeper in those affections toward jesus um they're their desire for things of the world is, is going to grow dimmer and dimmer. Yeah. So what does that, what does that lead into? I mean, as far as like, we, you know, we see the corruption of the world and, uh, and of course, what Revelation reveals to us is to like what the what the fate of the world is. What's that? Uh, where where do you even start to to look at? Uh, I'm trying to think of of what exactly I'm trying to ask here. What's that connection point between where we are now and where we are headed? Yeah, well, that, that's a great question. And that'll be a good place to to end end this episode. It's a nice circle. We started out with Matthew chapter twenty four. There is a place where Jesus is just given a description of events and how they would unfold unfold in the world. Uh, that there would be earthquakes in diverse places, wars and rumors of wars. But he, and then he says, he says two things. He says, "Be not alarmed, for these things must happen." And then he says, "But the end is not yet." Right. I believe that where we are right now is is that that uh, that window that the end is not yet. I believe that we've watched all of those other events unfolding; that they are even unfolding right now. The Bible talks about a few more things. Things that, that we will talk about at a future date that um, one that's interesting is that there will be signs and wonders in the sky and so much that men's hearts will fail them for fear of these things. Uh, but in this in this window, in this interim that we have, we can we understand that that we are now waiting for for two more events to transpire. Number one and this is found in First and Second Thessalonians. The Antichrist has to be revealed before the tribulation starts, and then right along with that event is what the Bible calls the apostasy or the great apostasy, the falling away. And during that event, this is when the wheat will be separated from the chaff. That means that right now, if you look around in America, 
uh, you go in a room, gather a hundred Christians together. Uh, one might imagine that during the falling away, that um, ninety-four of them leave the room and say, I, "I'm not doing this anymore." That's the that's the apostia, the apostasy, the great apostasy, and uh, that that's the that's that's what's coming. That's what's going to happen next. The Bible says that that will happen because a great delusion that the devil, the Antichrist, will perpetrate, but that God will actually allow or send upon the world. That's a hard idea for a lot of people to reconcile. But again, what God is, what God's going to do is God's going to uh, reveal what is real and what is not. Um, and. Uh, as with all things with God, it's good, and since it's good, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll. I think the clarity will be nice. I think it will be good to know who's who's actually who's actually real about this thing. So with that, um, our prayers are earnestly with you and for you, the the viewer, the listener of this podcast. Uh, our prayer for you is that that um, perhaps by way of hearing this, maybe you on some level have been um, convicted um, or compelled to pray. And if you did, you might ask Jesus to draw you in close to himself. You might consider his, his warning that many will come to him on the day of judgment saying Jesus we we did we did things we did them in your name and Jesus will reply to them depart from me uh, you, you worked in iniquity for nothing me and you we didn't we didn't know each other we didn't have a relationship considering that warning you might pray Jesus I I want to know you I want you to I want I want to know you I know that you know me I want to know you I want to have a relationship with you. You might, uh, you might pray that God will find you uh, full of faith and obedience and willingness to read this word because according to Jesus himself, this is the way by which one gets to know Jesus by reading this, the word of God, which Jesus said that he um, is the word of God. Um, and you might pray um, inside that relationship to your Lord and Savior Jesus that uh, that He would create in you a clean heart, renew in you a steadfast spirit, that you would be found ready when all of these things happen. And we will be praying for you to that end. We are doing the question and answer portion uh, for the recording of our podcast that will air at a later date. And so we are live streaming here on Facebook so that we might get into a discussion, you and I, whoever you are that's joining us right now. So we'll give it a few seconds, let some people jump on, and we'll take some, some questions, just whatever questions you have about the Bible, uh, things that are going on. Um, in the world today. Um, we'll take a look at some scripture here in just a moment and we will get a, a jumping off point. 
we'll go to some scripture that I think always frames the time that we are living in quite well. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Jesus had just come down from preaching his sermon on the Mount of Olives. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you, because deception will be uh, the defining word for these last days leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. They will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But you see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. And there will be famines, and there will be pestilence, that means sickness, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. After this, they will deliver you up, meaning the saints, those that follow Jesus Christ, to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will then grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all of the nations. And then the end will come. Amen. And so that scripture, I believe, um, that, that Jesus gave to his disciples uh, over 2,000 years ago, I believe that this scripture is, is referring to the time that we find ourselves living in right now. And I think that this is very, very good instruction for all of us, a, a reminder that we should uh, take into account um, as often as we are troubled by the times that we are living in and the events that we see unfolding around us. So let's just go through this scripture. As you guys have questions, feel free to put those in the comments and we'll see where the where your questions lead us. But take heed that nobody deceives you. This is an important warning from Jesus Christ. That's something that all of us should have in mind as we are viewing all of the things that are unfolding around us that the enemy has come to deceive. That perhaps the things that we are seeing um, as reported to us uh, by what we call major media outlets are not the truth at all. And we should, uh, we should consider these words that Jesus gave us that we should be aware the deception is around us. And then he goes on to say, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And what does that mean? Uh, that means that they will not necessarily say that they are Jesus, but rather they will claim to fulfill the role of Christ. Um, in different New Age philosophies, uh, Christ is, uh, is um, taught to be an office that was at one time occupied by our Lord and Savior Jesus. Uh, but in these different traditions, these schools of thought, it's taught that the office of Christ has been, has been filled by others, uh, not only Jesus. And in the future, 
um, this office of Christ will be filled by others again. And so the Word of God is warning us uh, that many will come and claim to hold that office of Christ. And then the Word of God says, and will deceive many. In other words, many people will believe these claims and follow after them. It says that while all this occurs, you'll begin to hear of wars and rumors of wars. In other words, uh, there will be reports that wars are happening and there will be rumors or talk that other wars um, might soon come to pass. And, and that certainly is happening now. But then Jesus says, see that you are not troubled. And, and that is something that should, that should really uh, cause us to take pause and, and really think about everything that he's just said and then think about um, how our spirits are postured um, now. Take heed that you are not troubled. All of these things are, are very troubling things. Will, do you think these are troubling things? Earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. Um, we haven't even got to the part yet where they're going to round us all up and try to kill us. Like that is the, uh, uh, It's troubling. Yeah, for sure. Right. But for us... Jesus gives, gives instruction to us. We are not to be troubled. Why? Because the very next words out of Jesus' mouth, all these things have to happen. In other words, Jesus is prophesying that these things will happen. The prophets that came before Jesus, they prophesied that these things will happen. In other words, these things must unfold so that the word of God, so that the book is fulfilled. In other words, we should not be troubled. Uh, rather, we should be comforted in seeing these things unfold, knowing, hey, uh, our, our God told us that these things would happen before they've ever occurred. So we're not to be troubled because we understand these things, uh, these things can't be stopped, should, um, won't be stopped. They must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then Jesus says that there will be infighting among nations, and nation will rise against nation, and then kingdom will rise against kingdom. In other words, not only will there be infighting uh, amongst nations, and um, consider this, that just this past week, there was a uh, what many refer to as a, a, a civil uprising in Russia where you had a militant group uh, that came against Putin and uh, the national forces of Russia. Um, that in itself, a kind of civil war fulfilling this scripture, uh, just the, you know, that event. Uh, but there will be more of that. And, and not only will there be uh, civil fighting, um, you know, fighting within nations, uh, then kingdom will rise against kingdom. And then there will be famines, that's a shortage of food, uh, pestilence, that's sickness, earthquakes in various places, and then they will deliver you up to tribulation. And this is talking about persecution. All of these things I believe uh, we should be really aware of, very aware of, because um, we're seeing all of these things unfold around us now. And I wonder how many of you guys might agree, I might have questions about the things that you see happening, uh, current events. I mean, there's a lot that's happening. Um, uh, we could talk about um, a great number of things. We can talk about uh, different wars that are happening. Um, you know, what do you guys think about what's happening in, in uh, Russia and Ukraine? Um, do you think that, um, that the media is reporting accurately on that? Um, the, the mainstream narrative um, is, is that accurate? Um, from there um, to sensational things like uh, reports of um, unidentified flying objects or as they're now referred to, um, unidentified anomalous phenomenon, uh, UAPs, unidentified anomalous phenomenon. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think that even, even those things, I think that uh, the Bible 
has forewarned us of, of these kinds of events unfolding, and perhaps that is its own kind of deception. So, Will, what uh, do you think? Well, I know I saw in the headlines about, uh, about Vladimir Putin potentially losing power, but I haven't looked into it. What, what, uh, what information do you have on that? Um, well, this just this uh, over the past week, you had a military group called the Wagner Group, and they broke away. Uh, news um, outlets begin reporting that this is um, was a major uprising, and that um, this was the greatest threat to Putin, who's been in power for more than than twenty years, um, and then very quickly. Um, that ended almost as quickly as it started. They made a deal with the leader of the Wagner Group that he would um, that he would go into a kind of exile, I believe, to uh, Belarus. And uh, from there, um, he's been basically cut off from his forces. And <clears throat> you know that's still unfolding now um, as we speak. But as far as an actual civil war, um, I. I doesn't look like there's going to be a civil war anymore at this point. There was an offer made to, um, to all of these uh, men and women, I guess, that, that um, at least within Russia they would be referred to as rebels. They were offered uh, deals to either um, leave Russia, join the Russian army, or they could just uh, simply go home. And I think most of them are, are trying to leave Russia because um, Vladimir Putin uh, historically has been known to be very ruthless um, in regards to his political opponents. Yeah, I was just reading this. It said uh, they had halted their weekend campaign because they didn't want to spill Russian blood because the goal was protest, not regime change. Right. So the 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 more interesting things to me um, in the context of Russia. It, it's that here within the United States, we are given a narrative um, that, you know, and, and it's obvious that most people buy right into it. And, you know, if it, we're streaming right now on Facebook. Um, you're not seeing as much of it now, but just a few months ago, um, you know, the war in Ukraine was the, the popular thing of the day to support, right? And so you see all these folks and they've got Ukrainian flags um, for their profile pictures or, you know, those colors kind of superimposed over their profile picture. But the reality is that uh, your average American has no idea why there is conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Um, most folks have no idea that um, back in the 80s, um, when the Berlin Wall was about to come down, uh, President George Bush made a famous statement letting um, letting the then Soviet Union, um, which would now encompass uh, Russia, he, he told them that if this wall comes down and they would allow for the reunification of Germany, that NATO would not expand one inch further toward, toward Russia. And then, of course, uh, since then, it's been um, in, a, in a great excess of a thousand miles that they've come toward Russia. Um, at this point, we have uh, military installations that are um, very, very close to them. We've got uh, nuclear bases that are close to them, nuclear weapons, um, uh, you know, all kinds of, of uh, military uh, equipment, 
personnel bases that are all around them. If you consider, if, if, you, if you think about someone doing that to the United States, if you think about Russia or China trying to, uh, to uh, position themselves perhaps in Mexico, uh, how would we react to that? Oh, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen at all. Yet, um, most folks never consider that you know, we made promises that, um, that we obviously... Um, we we didn't keep, and so probably had no intention of keeping to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I think that one can certainly uh, debate that and and say and, and make a good case that we probably never never intended uh, to keep those promises. But um, yeah, the, most people most people here uh, in the United States have have no idea why that conflict um, is is even happening. Most people have no idea that um, that the guy that, that is the president of Ukraine right now, that prior to uh, holding his, that position of president, he um, he's an actor. Um, he was, uh, oh gosh, what's that? There's an animated, um, an animated um, feature-length film that uh, Paddington. Uh, the movie uh, Paddington. You ever seen that? Paddington I remember. Bear. Yeah, Paddington Bear. So uh, there was a Ukrainian. You know, they they uh, translated that for Ukraine, and he played. Uh, he voiced the main character um, in that in that movie. Uh, but but even more interestingly than that, uh, there was uh, there was a television show that was one of the biggest shows in Ukraine. It kind of filmed in the style of like, say, like Parks and Recreation or The Office. Mm -hmm. And Zelensky uh, played the president of Ukraine on this television show. And he was the leader of a, of a brand new party, right? He didn't have to act too hard, apparently. I guess not. <laughs> but he was the leader of, of a brand new party, right? And then they have an election in Ukraine. America overthrows the duly elected uh, president of Ukraine in a coup, and then we install a new president, and it just so happens to be the guy that they have now who was just playing the president of Ukraine, and then when we installed that guy into office, they, of course, needed a new cabinet. Well, who did he hire as his cabinet? The production crew from from the show that they were filming. All of this you can go and, you can go and confirm um, on your own. Anybody that's watching right now, uh, you can you can find all of this um, on on Google. Uh, so this guy's an actor who was literally his previous job to being the president of Ukraine was playing the president of Ukraine on TV, and then all of a sudden the party that was just a, a figment of someone's imagination is a real life party now, and this guy is running the nation. And you pair that with headlines that have come out over the past few weeks that literally BlackRock, uh, the world's largest investment firm, is, uh, is now a, like a literal sponsor of, of Ukraine, uh, pretty much sponsoring uh, the, the war over there. They have partnered with Ukraine itself now to use Ukrainian tax dollars to go into the BlackRock investment firm so that they can finance the reconstruction of Ukraine. So think how convenient that is. You fund the war in Ukraine that destroys Ukraine, and then you get all the contracts 
and literally the, the country awards you the nation's tax dollars that you can rebuild the country that you just financed a war that destroyed. I mean, they did the same thing in America. Yeah. I mean, who who did uh, who did the United States reach out to 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 manage the bailouts of the United States? BlackRock. It was BlackRock? Yeah, BlackRock. They ever bailed since... out the companies. They bailed out the companies that they themselves have like invested interest in. So. Yeah. Ever since two thousand and eight, <laughs> BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street now own um, far in excess of half of the world's assets. That's a conservative number to say half but you're talking about three companies all of which by the way these three companies are inextricably linked and these three companies control more than one half of the total world's assets that means for every dollar on planet earth these companies get 50 cents of it they they're in control of, of 50 cents of it and and these three companies literally have major stake in 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 almost every single corporation on the planet, which essentially means that they have the major say over all of these corporations. And I think that one could make a case that, and uh, I don't think it would be too far-fetched to say that perhaps corporations are, um, in a sense, running the world at this point. Something like a technocracy. Um, anybody ever seen, uh, anybody out there seen Wally before? By, remember, by and large, the the company that was that was running the world, yeah, or I think uh, idiocracy is a good <laughs> another good comparison. Yeah. Uh, Come on, any any questions out there? Are we just? Or is this? Uh, yeah, there's there's one from uh, Savannah Beecham. Do you say that one? Uh, go ahead. What do you got? Uh, do you believe that we are predestined for heaven or hell since God is all-knowing and knows what choices we will make and what our future holds? Wouldn't that technically mean we are predestined? Well, let's look at uh, let's look at what scripture says All right, let's see. Let's look in Romans chapter 9 there I'm looking right right at it all right what shall we say then if there is is there unrighteousness with God this is Romans chapter 9 starting in verse 14 uh, let's back up just a little bit to give give you a little context um, it's talking about Israel's rejection and God's purpose in all things all right and just just bear with me I think that you'll if you track with me for a minute you'll you'll see why here uh, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect for they, are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah has also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him, that being Jesus, who calls. 
It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. All right, what shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? Okay, because you know, think about this last thing that we've just heard. The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I shall hate it. Now, we could, we could talk about that, and I think even the last time that we did one of these, we had a question about that very scripture. But the reason I read this and, and bring it in so we can have it for context is, is that's a, that is a statement that if you don't give time to, to study, you don't give time to meditate on this, and, and you, don't, uh, you don't dig deep in here, um, I think that uh, many people have read this and, and been like, "Man, I don't, I don't know that I like that." You know, what's what's going on here? You know, and maybe this would even cause someone to question God's character. And then the very next scripture that you get, verse sixteen, what shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For He says to Moses, "I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion." So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, look, here it is, to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. Do you see what it's saying here? Who are, like, who are we or who are, who are you, who am I to question God, his goodness and his character, even though we look right here and it says that he made Pharaoh, when we're talking about Pharaoh, we're talking about the Pharaoh that Moses and Aaron dealt with. And according to the word of God, this was always Pharaoh's purpose. In other words, from the time the foundations of the world was laid, God always knew that Pharaoh, that his heart was going to be hardened, that he would reject everything that God brought before him, and that eventually he would back Moses and his people up against the Red Sea, that he would pursue them into the Red Sea, and Pharaoh and all of his armies would be swallowed up. God, the Word of God, tells us that God made him for that purpose. And and the Word of God, even uh, like it, it, it's like it um, looks deep into our spirit, deep into our, um, our being, and knows that um, our response in reading that might be to question God. And so the Word of God immediately says, hey, who are you to question God? If, if, he, if he's the potter and we are the clay, who are we to say what, what he does with a vessel? Um, no matter what, God is good. The Word of God goes on to say in verse 25, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. In other words, God says, look, just as some people uh, don't understand why it is um, that things um, are the way they are, uh, in, in regards to uh, Pharaoh and other vessels like Pharaoh. But God says, um, on the other hand, I give mercy extravagantly and I give grace in an extravagant fashion. And um, you guys don't question that. And so uh, I think that's a, you know, I think that's about as clear as an answer from the word of God as we can get. Uh, to, to me, the reality is this, and well, you, you feel free to tell me, uh, tell us what you think I believe um, 
100% that we have that we have free will. Um, I also believe that God, um, who sits outside of space, time, and matter, everything that we observe, He has seen the end from the beginning and all points in between simultaneous. So God knows what we are going to do, not because he makes the decisions for us, but because he has already seen these decisions that, that we will make. So um, I hope that helps. If somebody has a follow-up question in regards to that, feel free. Will, you got another question? Uh, no, no other questions right now. Uh, I know we've, we uh, somewhat hit on a similar question in a, in a different different podcasts so I just kind of wanted to add in what I added in there is like yes uh, yes like God knows and yes we have free will but it's it's like uh, I'm struggling to say it now like I did last time <laughs> what, That's all right, man. What, what, what is it like uh, even though God knows the outcome we don't know the outcome. Therefore, it is still up to us to, to go do the Great Commission, go and actually reach people for God. Because, you know, we don't know. God knows we don't know. Yeah. God doesn't want to send people to hell. Like, you know. <laughs> Anyways. No, it's, you're exactly right. It's, it's not that... Um, in, it's not in any way that that God makes our decision for us. It's, and, and the Word of God is clear. Your Father in heaven is not willing. It's not His will that any should be lost. But our our Father in heaven, Jesus, Jesus knows uh, that many will reject Him. I mean, and, and the Word of God, an exegetical study, uh, brings that point out quite clearly. Um, one of my favorite um, scriptures, verses in the Bible is that, um, God commended His love um, toward us, and that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. In other words, Jesus came and He died upon the cross, um, displaying what true love is. Um, in that, He did not die for us um, under the condition that we would love Him back. Jesus died for us uh, with a full understanding that many, if not most, would reject that love that he extended, uh, that many would reject, most would reject the, 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 the grace and, and the mercy that he has extended uh, toward us. So, yeah. You know, uh, to put that in a more worldly view, uh, there's, you know, the song Highway to Hell and Stairway to Heaven. So uh, <laughs> you, you do with that as, you know, yeah, I mean, you know that's that's um, that's real. That even 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 that which is secular um, in the world, um, the the book of Romans tells us in the first chapter of Romans that nobody is without it, is is has an excuse. That every, all of us, it's it's written on us. We all know that somewhere in us, we know when we're doing we know when we're doing wrong. Um, there's there's a there's uh, a place in us that is satisfied uh, when we are living righteously. Um, a man is able to lay his head down at night and and rest easier when he is living righteously. And a person knows when when they're living uh, wickedly. 
And so it's even the secular world, um, these very ideas and philosophies are, are bound to come to the surface. Um, oh, yeah. And, I've, and I've it heard, does. I forget where exactly I've heard it. It feels like it's been a long time ago. But uh, I remember, heck, it may have been you. <laughs> like, there is there is no good in the world. And the way we measure good is is by the standard that God set. So it's like whenever people say, oh, they're, they're like, oh, we're living good or whatever, they have to have something to measure that by, and that's by the standard of God. Yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was having a discussion um, earlier, earlier today, and the discussion was, it, um, the discussion was a very civil discussion. Um, you know, it was a... Um, from my observation, it was a it was uh, a loving and and uh, respectful discussion. But the discussion itself was was centered around um, the subject of, of Pride Month, uh, you know. And the question that was put before me is how like how do you know that something is is wrong? And, and that uh, that's a that's a big question. How do we know what is right and wrong? And I think that's why we're experiencing so much flux in the world today, whereas we used to have a standard um, that was agreed upon, um, even though uh, there were many within our nation uh, that did not, um, did not um, in any way subscribe to uh, the Judeo or the Christian faith. Um, those were the guiding principles of our nation. In other words, it was, uh, it was largely understood and agreed upon that God was was the arbitrator of what is what is uh, good and what is evil, uh, and now there um, there is no arbitrator um, as, as far as the whole is concerned, and so it's left up to the individual to decide what is what is right and and what is wrong, and so um, we shouldn't find it any surprise that there's a great deal of arguing about who's right and who is wrong. But um, as for you and, and I and probably most of the folks that are watching now, or at least I would hope, and that's, that is a, certainly a, a very important um, aspect of having a biblical worldview. And that's probably the first thing, not probably, it's certainly the first thing to understand is that God is the only uh, arbiter of what is good and, and what is evil. Uh, that's what it t teaches us in the very first chapter of Proverbs, that um, if someone wants, to, uh, wants any kind of wisdom at all, um, wants to be considered a, a wise or prudent person, the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom is, is the fear of God, understanding, as Jesus uh, put it in the 12th chapter of the book of Luke, uh, fear not what man can do to you. He can only kill your mortal body. Um, rather, fear God uh, who has a heaven and a hell to, to put you in, right? Yeah, I, you know, thinking, and, you know, you... When, when you have, when you have discussions, uh, and when, when you have discussions with folks that um, that are loving people, and you you approach these subjects um, not with with any kind of animosity in your heart or hate towards someone, understanding that um, you know 
that the attitude we should approach um, any and all with the, that um, are not followers of Jesus Christ, we should approach them with the same attitude that Jesus had upon the cross, looking down at the ones that were jeering him and gambling over his meager possessions. You know, Father, forgive them; they they know not what they do. And I I have found um, even even discussions surrounding uh, Pride Month, which I think that um, you know. It, both of us would agree. I think the the majority, if not all, the folks that are watching right now would agree that that is a very sensitive subject. That most people are uh, uh, perhaps uh, pensive or maybe even fearful to approach. Uh, but if we approach it in the way that that, that Christ has instructed us to to approach um, our fellow man, our brother and sister, if we just basically if we'll look at how Jesus contended with people that were um, that were vehemently against everything that he stood for and taught. Um, we can look at his interactions, study those, and it shows us a better way to engage people who, who are yet to agree with, with our assertion that Jesus is the, the way and the truth and the life. Yeah, and, you know, I definitely, you know, hey, everybody, I'm not a, I'm not a public speaker, so I'm going to say a lot of ums. <laughs> so, but, uh, I don't. I don't even. I don't even really know where to begin with this, but like uh, having like a mutual respect for somebody, and just actually, I, I think I was. I was. I think I was listening to the first episode of our of our podcast uh, today, and it really got me thinking. Uh, David Manning was talking about like grace and mercy while also um, while also like confronting people with truth like you need mercy and grace towards people and also giving them the truth and it starts with it starts with that grace with other people like having grace with somebody being able to open up and have a mutual respect for that person and yeah open up that conversation and that leads to being able to present those people the truth in a loving way. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, I honestly, I don't, I don't typically talk about this type of stuff with people cause I, you know, uh, but like I had a, I was able to have a conversation with a coworker. It's probably three or four weeks ago. Um, he kept referring to his partner as as they or whatever. He, well, he called him partner and they and type, that type of stuff. And I just I started asking him about it. I was like, hey, I don't know anything about that type of culture. And I was like, inform me on that. Like, tell me about your feelings on this. And it led, I mean, we probably had probably a 45-minute to an hour-long discussion where I was able to, to talk to him about God. And it all started with a with opening up with just like a mutual respect and, and wanting to know his thoughts on you know, on what he believed about that. Have you ever have you ever heard that the appropriate cliche that that goes along with that idea that you're putting forward right now? Mm-hmm. You you have it's probably just not coming to mind right now. Uh, if if I started out and said people don't uh, care how much you know until they oh, yeah. until they know how much you care, mm-hmm. right? And 
essentially that that's that's what you're that's what you're talking about you're saying it a, you know a bit different way but but cliches uh, most often become cliches for for a reason and um that that was a uh a, a kind of a, a pivotal realization uh within the ministry that god has allowed me to um to be responsible for that if you will if you will uh Purpose yourself to have uh, the patience and the understanding, discipline, and the no, and the obedience that it requires to sit and listen to to someone. Uh, it, it's it's it changes everything. Uh, when someone feels as though you want to know them, uh, that's the thing. I, I think that most people on on a human level, most people are are desperate to be known. And to be understood, um, you know, if you can, you can almost look at someone and say, "Man, um, that—that's—I don't agree with that at all." But if you tell them, "But I don't—I don't think that—I don't think you're crazy." I mean, I don't agree with it, but I understand how 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 you would get there. I, I can understand why you would, you know, um, arrive at that conclusion. You know. To be able to tell someone I understand, I understand how you feel. Um, in fact, I I used to feel the same way. I felt the same way, uh, but then I found I found out this uh, new information. You know, um, feel, felt, found. I understand how you feel. I felt the same way, and then I found out. And and that is the that's the truth of my life. I think that anybody that that um, that knows, loves, believes in, follows Jesus Christ, that is the story. That is the testimony of of my life. It's the testimony of your life. Um, we were all rebels against God. We all wanted to uh, sit on the throne of our own heart, uh, building and constructing our own kingdom. And we all felt like that. We had our own ideas, our own um, ambitions, our own aspirations. All of those were geared towards self. Um, we wanted to define for ourselves what is what is right and wrong, and of course um, we do that in a most selfish fashion. Um, we all felt that way, um, so that's how you can tell someone. I understand how you feel. Um, I felt the same way, but then I found out. I found out this. I found out that that Jesus said that if if you know all of us have this hole on the inside of us, metaphorically speaking. And um, we all feel that the emptiness that results from that hole. And so all of us are trying to fill that hole up. And the current culture uh, calls that thirsty, right? Um, you know, whether it's uh, something of a sexual nature, whether it's, uh, it, whether it's um, maybe alcohol, drugs, could be food. Uh, maybe you've got a, a spending addiction, uh, you know, clothes, whatever. Everybody's trying to get, everyone's trying to get a fix. And Jesus acknowledged that. Um, where you might ask, when he was speaking to the woman at the well, that's exactly what he's telling her. He's saying, look, you have to come back here every day to this well to satisfy that need that you've got on the inside of you. But I am the living water. Drink of me. You'll never thirst again. What, what, what we draw from that is that all of us, every, every single one of us, 
there is a, a kind of void on the inside of us. Until we meet Jesus, there is something missing. We feel it. We know it. There's a sort of anxiety that is always kind of there along along the outer edges. Even when we think that we're enjoying things and things are going the right way, there's a there is a sense of of something being missing, something that is is not right. And before someone meets Jesus, they'll they'll attempt to fill that hole with with um, a, a variety of things. Many of those things that we just mentioned. But Jesus says that once you meet him and you let him be the thing that, that satisfies you, that fulfills you, he fills that hole perfectly. And, and once you drink of Jesus, once you, uh, uh, you come into relationship with Jesus, um, you, you will believe, you will know, you will proclaim, your testimony will be Jesus is enough. Those that don't know Jesus, they know nothing of this, and that's why most of the world, even now, I mean, that's why the world is getting more and more uh, wicked. It's it's this desire to fulfill a thing that can never be fulfilled outside of Jesus. Uh, Savannah Beecham has another question. Um, let's see. Oh, gotta scroll. One second. Uh. She says, I have one more question, uh, which is kind of a long question. I'm wondering, can you be a qu- uh, Christian and drink? Uh, the, hold on. Thank you. Uh, I'm wondering, can you be a qu- Christian and drink if you drink in moderation and you're not a drunkard? Is, there, uh, is it one of those things that's permissible but not beneficial? And if it's okay as a Christian to drink in moderation, what does that say about us? Does it say that we are not satisfied with the fullness of God? What do you think? Well, um, I believe the Word of God uh, has a lot to to say about that, as it does with all things. Um, Rather than sit here and and flip through these pages, and anybody that's watching is welcome to go and, and search in the book of Proverbs, you can put it into the comments. You can help um, help help the pastor out. Uh, there is scripture in Proverbs. Uh, your key word for it would be um, when the wine swirls around in the cup, don't even look at it. Um, how about somebody search that and put it in the comments um, where, where we'll find that at in Proverbs. And if somebody else can take a look and pull up the scripture um, from the Gospels uh, where Jesus said um, John the Baptist ate no bread and drank no wine. They said that he was a lunatic. The Son of Man comes uh, eating bread and drinking wine, and they call me a, glut- a glutton and a drunkard. Um, those, those two scriptures, I think, are, um, are very relevant for that question. So let's put those uh, those scripture together and see what the what the whole of God word God's word gives us in the way of instruction. All right. So, and again, anybody that pulls those scriptures up, put those in the comments, and will will uh, will will give me those scriptures, and and we'll turn to them um, right here. There we go. My boy Jeremy. Proverbs. What does, he, what does he say, Will? What What is it? Proverbs, Proverbs 21, 31 through 33. Proverbs, what is it? Twenty one, Chapter 21, 31 through 33. Oh, he says 23. Chapter 23? Yeah. I was just going to say, I was like, man, there's, there's 31 verses in chapter 21. 
31 through uh, 33, you said? Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's, let's uh, y'all, anybody that knows me knows I'm about to say, let's back up for context, right? All right. Let's start in 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? <laughs> All of us, right? <laughs> amen. Somebody say amen. Who has wounds without Everybody cause? Raise your hand. Yeah, raise your hand if we're in service. Raise your hand. Who has redness of eyes? Um, all right, and then it's going to answer. All right, so check this out. We got one, two, three, four, five, six questions, and then we're going to get the answer. Let's look at the questions again. Woe is trouble. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? You know, that's fighting with other people. Who's got complaints? Who has wounds? Uh, without cause, who has red, redness of eyes? Listen, anybody that's had any kind of, of of drinking problem, like where you drink to excess, maybe somebody right now, right here on, on this live is going to realize, like, I think I might have a drinking problem. The, the, this is, uh, these are, are sure signs that you do. Uh, you know, folks, a lot of times they drink and people say, oh, I, don't, I don't have any problem. But if you observe what happens around uh, your time of drinking, you'll see that there's a lot of this. You know, where you get around people, you have arguments with people you normally wouldn't argue with. Uh, you know, where there's just just tension between people whenever you get around. Who's got complaints? Um, wounds that just happen for no reason, you know, right? Whether it's a, whether it's a verbal altercation or whether it's sometimes, unfortunately, a physical fight. Um, and redness of eyes, right? And that's like waking up, being hungover. And then this is what it says. It says, here's your answer. Uh, it's those that linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. That's wine that's, that's stronger in alcoholic content, right? Uh, and then he says, to you guys, he says, to you, do not look on the wine when it is red. Listen and look, look at the language here. When it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly, at the last it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. In other words, you get a little drink in you and all of a sudden you start saying perverted things. You start thinking about some perverted things that you wouldn't normally think. I know that's nobody. Like everybody that watches this is too holy for any of this. But for other people, y'all save this up for, um, for some other folks. My eyes, uh, it says your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like the one that lies down in the midst of the sea or like the one that lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. You ever seen a drunk person do that? I have, I have, seen, I have seen people that were for sure hurt and being like, oh, no, man, I'm good. I don't feel anything. And you, you will. You will feel something. Um, when shall I awake that I might seek another drink? And that's the kind of person that literally, like they go through all of that, you would think they would learn their lesson. I can remember being a young man, you know, swearing up and down, I'm never going to drink again. You know, and literally hours later, I'm, I'm drinking in order to get rid of the terrible headache that I have from the, you know, the, the previous day's activities. Uh, somebody, did somebody get us uh, the scripture from the gospel? Um, Jesus speaking, uh, uh, I've got one for you, Luke seventeen. Luke seventeen. All right, so we're gonna. That's that's one side of it. I hope nobody goes away because that's only part of of the coin here. One side of the coin. Part of the coin. That's not a real phrase. What'd you say, Luke seventeen? Yeah, yeah. Those those first 
first couple verses right there. If this, if got this, it, got it, got if it. this doesn't tell you, uh, tell you how you should go about. You you got the scripture there where he's talking about John. John the Baptist. Wait, tell me where you're at again. Oh, I, I was giving you another scripture to to read about that type of stuff. That Go ahead, you read 17. it. Read it. Uh, I don't I don't know the one you were asking. No, that's all right. You read that. I'm going to find the one that I'm uh, looking for. Luke 17, uh, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to any through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause uh, one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, that is, uh, man, and think about that. We, at the end of that scripture, it says it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and to be thrown in the sea than to see one of these little ones, right? Yeah. All right. And then you, you think about how we never even, you know, because, we are so busy telling ourselves whatever we need to to feel okay about what we're doing that we never consider that perhaps we should give our children a, a fair warning about what it is they're observing. In other words, I saw the ones that came before me in my family line, I saw them have a drinking problem. They knew they had a drinking problem. Yet, all I heard was, was uh, you know, language that was meant to, uh, you know, make oneself feel okay about what was going on, right? Which, if you raise a child up like that, a child will grow up. They will look toward the day that they're going to have that first beer with, with this individual, believing that that's a thing to be celebrated, never understanding that there is a generational curse that's in that family, and that thing's going to grab hold of you, right? Now, you... Again, I, folks, especially considering our own children, we don't walk into that kind of thing on purpose. That's the kind of thing that's done, um, you know, blindly, right? Mm -hmm. But that's a self-imposed blindness. That's the kind of thing that we, you know, we just, uh, somewhere in us, we know that we should warn our children, but we don't. But if we took serious generational curses and if we took serious scripture like what you're talking about, like we would... I think we might do a little bit different. But that scripture from from Luke chapter 7, the one that I was looking for, uh, says, says this. It's in Luke 7. I think it starts around 33. Yeah, here we go. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he's got a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by all of her children. Uh, and, you know, I know that some folks, and you're welcome to comment um, right here in the chat, um, will, you know, um, might have a, a, different, um, a different assertion, but in all of my research, um, that I've done on this, I, I fully believe that, that Jesus was talking about wine that had at least some alcohol in, in content. Uh, and Which, just for a historical perspective on that, because I'm, I'm big on the history of the Bible, like most, most of those drinks back then were fermented in some form or fashion 
sanitation. Sanitation, like primarily, if you know. Um, but but we know. Like, okay, John the Baptist, his father uh, owned a vineyard. Um, kind of a, I, I think one could could say that could be considered a kind of irony that when the angel came, um, spoke to his father, um, when his father was performing his duties in the temple, the angel informs uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, that, that they were going to conceive a child even at this old age. Um, and, and then he tells um, John the Baptist's father that he is never to, uh, to consume the fruit of the vine, that it, the uh, wine is never to touch his lips. That's a think how strange that that would be if if that's your family business, yeah. And you understand your son is never gonna is never gonna touch the fruit of the vine, and he didn't. Now why? I, I we don't know for sure because you uh, there's not there is not scripture that tells us uh, the exact reasoning behind why John the Baptist uh, would not be permitted to consume wine. Uh, if um, if I um, would be permitted to venture a guess, and I I will. I think it's because of the type of personality he had. Um, he, you know, people um, referred to him as a kind of wild man. Um, he was, um, you know, he was certainly very. Uh, I think some people would call it zealous in, in his approach, um, kind of unconventional methods. Um, he had a kind of personality that was that was all or nothing. It seems, um, and as a person that um, that I, I consider myself to be a person that has that kind of personality. Um, most folks like that, they do not handle alcohol well. I, I did not. Um, I, you know, so I guess that will get us to the, uh, to the final conclusion here. Um, I am a person, I, I do not drink at all. Um, I still remember the, the day many years ago, is July the 29th, uh, that um, I had um, drank for the last time. Uh, understanding that um, I feel like God spoke to me um, in a in a very um, in a very recognizable way, um, and I think that it's something that everybody needs to weigh before Jesus. Um, you know, within their very personal relationship with Jesus, what we draw from the Word of God is this: if you cannot, if if you are a person that consumes alcohol because you want to feel different, um, I would I would seriously. Um, evaluate this very topic before your Lord. Um, because here's what that means. If, if, you're, if, if you find yourself having a hard day and you think to yourself, I can, man, I can't wait to get home and, and just have uh, a couple of beers. And even if it's just two beers, right? But that's what you find yourself running to um, at the end of each day. Right, something bad happens, something hard happens. Uh, th that's that's what you go to um, to alleviate that thing which has brought you stress, right, or depression, anxiety, anything else. That's called an idol. God wants to be the thing that you run to. If if you are somebody and you you smoke pot, when you get stressed out, you're the kind of person that thinks to yourself, like, man, I just you know I can't handle life without this. This makes me able to. God wants to God wants to fill that place in your life. So, according, um, it's, it is um, it is my counsel to anybody that asks me. According to the Word of God, one cannot say that it is categorically wrong to have a beer or to have a glass of wine. Um, it's a matter it's a matter of the heart. And I think I think the Word of God is is 
very clear about that. And especially what Jesus said. Jesus said, look, John the Baptist didn't drink at all. And they said that man was demon-possessed. Jesus said, I have a glass of wine and a piece of bread with it. And they say, I'm a drunk and I'm a glutton. So what are you going to do? You can't please him, can you? No. No, you can't. All right. Savannah, did that help? I hope it did. Looks like that there's a lot of yeses and amens. So I'd say you, uh, I'd say, I'd say we struck a chord here. <laughs> it resonated with some people. That's good, man. But, uh, you know, Savannah that's, said, "Wow, that's, that's what the that's what the Word of God does." <laughs> yeah, man, that, that's that's the whole purpose for doing this. And again, if you guys are just joining us, uh, here here's what's going on on July the fourth. July the fourth is the official launch date for the podcast. But for anybody that's watching right now, um, I'll let you know that if you want to get a sneak preview, uh, you can find it on Rumble, YouTube, um, Spotify, uh, those three. Um, Amazon at the, Music. Amazon Music. And you're just going to search Biblical Worldview. It's a very new podcast. Most of these uh, these search results um, are based on, in other words, you're going to get the things that have been viewed the most up top, even if you type in the exact title. So you might have to scroll down a little bit to, to find um, our podcast, um, but it's you, present on those platforms. Do Again, you want to share links? Yeah, yeah, you can drop them right there in the comments if, if you'd like. But if you guys want to check that out, again, the official launch date for the podcast is July the 4th. What we are doing um, here and now, we, uh, we stream live on Facebook simply, uh, Facebook simply because this is where, uh, this is the platform where I have the most, uh, most friends slash followers. And so I can um, can get on here. We can have a discussion. Can get your questions, and from those questions, uh, more discussion comes about. And so what we're going to do is on each episode of the podcast, there will be a short segment um, that's uh, it's questions for Pastor Brian, and these uh, these questions that you are asking and the subsequent answers will be edited into the actual podcast that will stream on those previously mentioned platforms. So we very much appreciate uh, the time that you spend with us. Um, it is valuable to us, and um, I have prayed before we've ever started that the time that you spend here with us during this Q&A session, that it will be valuable to you. And uh, my prayer, my, my earnest prayer, is that uh, your time will not be wasted um, having spent it viewing or listening to um, our podcast on whatever platform you choose to consume that on. Um, biblical worldview. Well, we're seeing about another question. Let's let's just uh, for anybody that wasn't with us on the last one. Let's talk about why it is that we're doing a podcast um, called Biblical Worldview. Um, what is a biblical worldview? First and foremost, uh, to have a biblical worldview means that you view the world. And the events transpiring in the world around you and beyond, uh, you view those events, you understand all of those events through the lens that is the Bible. In other words, the Bible tells us how to view all things. The world says one thing about uh, what is referred to as Pride Month. 
um, the rainbow and what it represents. And the Bible says something completely different. And see, this makes sense. Secular, um, the, the very definition of, of secular, while most people take that to mean worldly, the actual definition is without God. And so what we are looking at is a secular worldview as opposed to a biblical worldview. Um, my belief and understanding according to the Word of God is that the only ones that are going to understand and see accurately what transpires in the final days leading up to the return of Jesus Christ are those sons and daughters of God who have got to know Jesus as He has uh, required of us. Um, how do you get to know Jesus? Through uh, the Word of God, which is Jesus. Those that have read the Word of God, that by way of the Holy Spirit have an understanding of the Word of God, will uh, will see as things are happening that that these things were told to us uh, beforehand in the Word of God. Um, so a biblical worldview, very important. Um, so why this podcast? Because in this country that, that I love, that I believe um, many, if not most of you, you love this nation also. This nation is populated uh, by a people who have a biblical worldview. Um, only 1%, 1% of, of this nation, 1% of America has a biblical worldview. Um, to many of you, that, that uh, might be, it should be um, concerning at the very least. But I think even, uh, even of greater concern is that only 6% of Christians have a biblical worldview. And you might be surprised to know that only 57% of pastors, meaning only 57% of the men um, preaching and teaching the Word of God, just over half of them believe in the Bible. And uh, I, think, um, I think that... That's why we are in the shape that we're in right now. We got any other questions out there? Well, Savannah, I, I pray for the for to the glory of God that that um, that you are right, not not for my own success or or that will might have success on the production end of things um, but that um, as a product of watching this that 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 many people will um, will take on a biblical worldview that that's our prayer that's that's our hope that's the fruit um, that we have prayed will be produced uh, through this podcast. And so, Savannah, if you would if you would pray uh, alongside of us that um, God would work to that end, um, it is uh, it's a sincere statement to say that we very much uh, appreciate, uh, perhaps even covet those those prayers. Uh, the most important thing that anybody can do to support us is offer um, their support in the way of earnest prayer um, that people will take on a biblical worldview um, through watching, listening to this podcast. Thank you, Savannah. You, your, your questions have been um, 
very good questions, the kind of questions that we hope to see a lot of. Anybody else that has questions, it can be about anything. If you're wondering if there any question you have about the Bible, anything that you see going on in the world right now, and you wonder what it is the Bible has to say about that, um, anything at all. There's my cousin from Carthage, Tennessee. <clears throat> Watch where Carthage is. Smith County. Carthage is in Smith County. I don't know where Smith County is. <laughs> uh, about an hour away, I think. Uh, good deer hunting. People like to deer hunt out there. Do they deer hunt with rifles or cars? I don't know. Maybe both. Uh, Jesse was going down the road a few months ago, down on Nashville Highway. And she was going one direction, and she saw that there was this, uh, a big buck had been hit, right? And so she's going out toward Murfreesboro, and I don't know what she was doing. I don't remember a bit. When she came back by, she said that there was a pickup truck that was pulled over on the side of the road, and that there were two guys, and they had a big saw right on the side of the road. They're sawing this, the rack off of this deer, just right on the side of the road. I, I, was, I, t I told her I was so, I'm so glad that Layla... Layla, if you anybody that's watching, if you don't know who Layla is, Layla is our uh, five-year-old. I told her I was so glad that Layla was not in the car. Can you imagine how traumatized a kid would be if you're going down the road? I mean, to a kid, it looks like they're, they're sawing this deer's head off on the side of the road. Like, Mommy, why are those men attacking that deer? Tennessee. I love yeah. Tennessee. I mean, my, my brother-in-law hunts, and he... Uh... He, like, breaks down turkeys and ducks and stuff like that in his driveway. So, imagine the neighbors love that for their kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? One hour away. Yeah, he didn't specify direction. He just said one hour away. <laughs> oh, yeah? Who said one hour away? <laughs> you did. Oh, me? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my cousin, yeah. Is it an hour away, Bridget? Is is that right? I haven't been I haven't been to Carthage since, uh, gosh, probably since I, I was. Now, when is the last time that I went there? Might have been for my granny's funeral. She, I think she was buried out there. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> if you came and see me, you will know. Oh, that's that's good. <laughs> right here on Facebook. There's my. If you came and saw me. Sometime you're a terrible cousin. That's that's what. Yeah, then no. you know it's actually 59 minutes and 43 seconds away, Brian, and it's not an right? hour. Right? No, man, my, I, I, uh, I love my cousin Bridget. She's one of the few family members I have that's not crazy. <laughs> nah, most look. No, now I got a bunch of families. None of y'all are crazy. Crazy in a good way. Well, crazy. I don't know you all. But crazy about. Yeah. All right. Alrighty. We've had a lot of a lot of participation, guys. We're gonna give it just a couple of more, uh, just a couple more minutes. See if anybody has another question. Like I said, these questions help us out. Um, even if it's a little choppy here on on this live stream, we're. Will does his production magic and and goes and chops this stuff up and edits it. Um, yeah, I'm gonna cut out all the 
all the crazy cousin stuff. So yeah, you know. it'll be like I never even called anybody crazy by the time we're done with this. <laughs> but look, it's all good now. My cousin says that uh, she loves me. She's glad she's not crazy. That's good. Or doesn't fall into the category of crazy. I'm sure she didn't need me to to affirm for her that she is not crazy. Uh, earlier we touched on touched on BlackRock. Have you seen where they are uh, where they're filing for the the EF or the ETF Bitcoin ETFs? Yeah. So Larry Fink now is is like if if anybody had a question on on cryptocurrency and if cryptocurrency was was nefarious in nature. Something we should be concerned about uh, when Larry Fink embraces cryptocurrency. Yeah, uh, that I think I think we understand now that crypto is not not going to be our savior at all. Uh, crypto is cryptocurrencies, uh, central uh, central um, central bank digital currency. Those are going to be the the main mechanisms for uh, the new world order and the beast system uh, gathering all the power it needs to uh to accomplish their their purpose and and it's just like we started out in matthew 24 it's going to happen it's absolutely going to happen we're folks uh folks that have a biblical worldview they see it happening right now folks that don't have a biblical worldview are wondering what in the world is happening and people people need to wake up the the beast system that the bible uh tells us uh, is prophesied will will rise it's it's coming to into being right now, and that's why when we talk about BlackRock. That's the you know I um, BlackRock is uh, is a very is is a very nefarious um, entity, and and what's crazy to me is that most people. I, I'm just curious. Uh, is there anybody? Is there anybody that's watching right now that that knows what BlackRock is? Is there anybody watching right now that knows what BlackRock is, who BlackRock is, what what they do, what they're responsible for? You can just answer with a yes or no or however you want to answer. Do you guys know what BlackRock is? I know I have, before you ever told me that this was what we were going to be talking about in this episode of the podcast, I have already been deep diving into into BlackRock this past week. <laughs> yeah. And it all kind of, I know, I know I've heard you talk about it before, but the thing that kind of was my, my spring off point was the, uh, um, the video that, that came out of the interview, like the secret interview with the guy who worked for BlackRock. Oh so. yeah. Ver- Veritas. Now see that, like that's, that's how that there are m- more people that know about BlackRock now um, than that ever before because people that are that follow James O'Keefe, um, James O'Keefe. If you don't know who James O'Keefe is, James O'Keefe uh, was the founder um, and former CEO of Veritas, um, a media organization that uh, became um, I, I, I prolific for exposing um, dishonesty. And that is to put it mildly within um, different um, corporations, uh, political factions, and um, just just individuals. Um, 
you can look at, at kind of what's happened with him recently. Um, he's he's had his, certainly had his own challenges, not not because he's done anything that would be considered unethical or or um, illegal um, or even immoral, to the best of my knowledge, in any way. Um, just because I believe that um, he's uh, like all of us engaged in a, in a spiritual battle, and um, so he's had his own own challenges to deal with. But James O'Keefe is, is still doing the work of exposing um, nefarious organizations and people. And so they, uh, they with one of the reporters, they set a guy up that's a recruiter for BlackRock. Um, and it's a very, very um, interesting ordeal that took place. And, and any of you can look that up um, with um, pretty easily. Um, BlackRock, um, recruiter video and you'd be able to pull that up and, and that would be quite informative i'm a good place to start actually let's see what we got here i think a couple of people said that they they've heard a little bit about said did you see where those people stormed blackrock headquarters that's uh crystal vincent said did you see where those people stormed blackrock headquarters yeah i did that happened in france um that's where the storming of blackrock headquarters happened was in france now uh, what the the interesting facts that surround that is that most folks have no idea what's transpired in France recently, and if they do know that there's been massive protests in France, I'm, I'm talking about protests on an unbelievable scale. Um, you know, where it, it, if you were to if if you were to look at it, accurate reporting of it, it looks like absolute anarchy. Like the government is uh, lost, just lost control of of the entire nation. Um, and most people don't even know that that's happening. If you if you were to get on Instagram, if you were to get out of the app on Facebook that you're currently on, and you log into Instagram and you search. Um, France, you're, all you're going to see is a bunch of people taking selfies at the Eiffel Tower. But if you go to somewhere like TikTok and you um, and you search France um, un, um, unrest, um, uh, French protest, or any any uh, like worded search on TikTok, you're going to pull up some some pretty shocking video. And then uh, the question those videos would probably elicit in, in the average viewer's mind is what is causing these protests? So if you were to go then and you were to uh, try, if you were to attempt um, a Google search for why are the protests happening in France, you're going to see that, that Google is going to uh, route your efforts to find out uh, why there is protesting. In other words, you are not going to get accurate information um, coming back on um, your searches performed on Google. Uh, but if you were to look um, through a different search engine, perhaps Yandex, which is a Russian search engine, what, what you will find out through some of these uh, other media organizations is that um, the story that they have put out, these protests are happening because they have um, raised the retirement age and changed some, some benefits supporting uh, or surrounding the retirement age. Okay, so why are the protests really happening? It's because they have given BlackRock complete control of all of their retirement and all of their pensions, and at the same time, they have raised retirement age. And so what's happened is in France, they have become awake to the very topic which we now discuss, that BlackRock is controlling everything. That BlackRock is, that's the reason why you're getting the Bud Light commercials that you're getting. Um, it, it, that's a, that is a fact. 
fact. The the Dylan Mulvaney thing, the Bud Light can that you got, that's happening because BlackRock has major controlling stake in Anheuser-Busch. Um, they have what are called ERG scores. Um, it's, it's basically a, a wokeness barometer, and either you meet the metrics they set or they withdraw uh, their their money and will even sell off your stock. And if you're worried about losing nine billion over a can that you produce, you're going to lose a lot more when all of a sudden BlackRock drops all of its stock options, right? And so, even even when they these are the biggest investors in the in these companies and all of them. And if you go and look at the if you go look at the the actual metrics for it, it's like every single one of these companies they are like number one, number two, or number three in the amount that they own of all these companies. Right. And and if if you are someone that is that's uh, unfamiliar with with the markets, the way the markets work, um, how how individuals, investors, um, investment firms, if you are if if you're uneducated in, in in what it takes to to leverage yourself against these companies, you might um, go and run some searches on different companies and think to yourself, when you see that BlackRock only controls 12% or 8.4%, you might think to yourself, well, that's a small percentage. Well, when you consider that one one company, or more accurately, one individual in Larry Fink who owns BlackRock, when you understand that, that one person owns 12% of a company, and literally... Not just one company, yeah, multiple right. billion-dollar companies. Yes, uh, every, every company. I'm talking about Amazon. Amazon, is, it, Amazon uh, uh, BlackRock, Vanguard have a controlling stake in Amazon, in, in Google. In other words, even the companies that we think of as... You're worried about as, Elon Musk and Twitter right. take over. Yeah. BlackRock has already done it with every other company in the world. Right. And so, but when, when one looks, if you take a sample company and you look and you say, okay, well, they only control uh, 8%, they only control 12%, um, whatever it might be, someone, again, that's uneducated about the market, and I'm not saying that to be derogatory, to call someone uneducated, it's simply not everybody's interested in the financial markets, how they work. They're not invested in those markets, and so they, they have no reason to be educated in those things. But if you are not, you might look and you would think to yourself, and, and it wouldn't be an unreasonable um, position to take to say, well, well, BlackRock only controls 8% of this company. Okay, well, if BlackRock controls 8%, but, but 10 million other people split the other 92%, then the person that owns the full 8% of the company by far has the majority of shares, and that means that they have the control. And again, I go back to to Elon Musk. Like, do you remember how much of a percentage of Twitter he had to buy to have the controlling stake? I don't remember the exact amount. Do you? Do I you think know? it was like fourteen percent. So it's right. like that's that's what it takes. That's just for that company. Like, but it's different for every company. So it's like that's what it takes. Just fourteen percent of owning fourteen percent of the stock is what it took to have the controlling stake in that company. That just gives you a, a perspective of of like how much they actually own in these companies, because it's not like eight percent. That's just that's just one company. There are other companies that they own like twelve or fourteen percent in. Yeah, and. Which essentially means they control 
every company that they have the largest stake in, they control those companies. Look, here's something that's interesting right now. I'm looking for a quote from Larry Fink. Larry Fink said that he doesn't. it doesn't matter who the president of the United States is. It only matters who's controlling the money or controlling the banks, which actually um, almost exactly echoes a statement that David Rockefeller made in a book that he wrote years ago that said, I care not who makes a nation's laws. Let me have control of the currency, and I control the nation, right? Yeah. And that again, that's not a conspiracy. You can uh, that's a book that's in print by David Rockefeller. Someone can take and, and Google that quote right now. And I think even on Google, uh, you're going to have that that pull up. But Larry Fink more recently has said that it doesn't matter who the president of the United States is. It only matters who's controlling their money. And he was he said this on on film. And now uh, it's it's got out. I'm looking for the clip now to see if I can. It wasn't just him that said that. It was also that uh, that other guy that you were talking about, the the recruiter. He also said that. On oh, him. he oh he said it on the like. Yeah, in, it was like yeah, senators, I haven't watched them. Cheap. Senators, you can buy a senator for ten thousand dollars. Right. It is like the president. You just control his money. And I think all of us understand, or at least we have been, we we have suspected that politicians can can be bought, right? Uh, what we are now becoming awake to is that it's not it's not the politicians, it's it's not even the federal government that has control over what's happening in our world. It's it's more accurately, it's the Federal Reserve. It's it are it's the uh, it's the large banks. Um, these are the people that that control the world that we live in. Um, even now, if you look at what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, um, it it is a uh, I think more than a coincidence that Russia is is one of the countries that refuses to let the international banks have control of their currency. Um, they are even backing their own currency now with gold, and um, that normally does not go well for for folks. Um, John F. Kennedy wanted to put us uh, back on the gold standard. Um, uh, he didn't. Um, he didn't live to see that that day, and I'm I um, I would not assume at all that that is uh, that is the only reason. That uh, that Kennedy, that John F. Kennedy, um, was um, removed from office and and unalived, but I think it has a great a great deal to do with it. And you know, uh, since we're talking about it, you know, most folks don't even know or understand that that recently, I think it's been about three weeks ago now. Um, Government records uh, have been uh, declassified, um, just outright acknowledging the CIA's involvement in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Um, I listened to a very, I mean, and 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 someone and someone listening to that might think to you, no, no way, that's crazy. No way did the government admit that uh, that the assassination of of a U.S. president um, that that uh, factions of our own government were involved. Uh, you know, you can you can look it up yourself. In fact, um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. 
who is actually now running for um, for president or uh, aiming for the Democratic nomination. Um, he he was interviewed on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he talked about it at length, um, citing the actual uh, declassified documents. Um, and again, most people don't don't have any idea. It's insane the world that we live in now. What kind of things can happen in a news cycle, and so much is happening. People totally miss it. You know, a whistleblower comes out two weeks ago and says that we we're actually in possession of alien aircraft and and actual bodies of of these entities, and most people have no idea that it's that it's even happened. Which is um, was our subject for the last podcast. Um, that uh, that we did. All right, we've been on here for quite some time. I don't think that we have had any other um, any other questions, and I think that we've probably drawn about um, about what we need um, our time here. Family, um, we will be back. Uh, we'll be back to do this again next Tuesday night to get more questions. Um, we look forward um, to having conversation with you all again. We thank you for your support. We thank you for your prayers. Again, the official release date for the podcast is July the 4th. You'll be able to find that on most platforms where podcasts are made available. Um, Spotify, Rumble, YouTube. Amazon Music. Amazon Music. Potentially Apple Music. Where I'm, I'm looking into it currently. All right. That's the business. Again, July the 4th, but Will has included um, in the comments links if you would like to preview that first episode of the podcast where we had as our guest David Manning, who will be returning um, here in about three weeks. And love you guys really much. Again, thank you for taking your time, spending um, a portion of your evening with us. Um, if you have any questions for uh, the future episodes of the podcast, um, you've, you've already found me here on Facebook. You can send those questions to me via Messenger, and I will do my best to, uh, to get to each one of those, and we will use those questions on the next episode of the podcast. Or better yet, don't message me. Find Will Horton on Facebook Messenger and message those questions to Will Horton. Um, that would be much better. Send them to Will. <laughs> and I love yeah. you guys. But anyways, good night, Brian. Good night. Y'all sleep well. Lock your doors so the aliens can't get in. <laughs> <laughs> good night, y'all.